out uh, and finish out our Passion Week here at the well. But before we dive into our passage of Scripture this morning, I just have a question for you, and I need you guys to be extremely honest with me, okay? Just show, show a hands as I ask the question, no need for you to shout anything out, okay? Do not incriminate yourself. But my question to you is this, how many of you have ever found yourself on social media or online and you came across an ad for a personality test? And it's like, answer these 10 questions and we'll tell you what your personality type is. Or answer these 10 questions and we'll tell you what your spirit animal is. Or answer these 10... Anyone? Anyone? I'm a Gryffindor. You don't have to tell me, you don't have to tell me what tests you take. So... Um, there, was a, there was a period of my wife and I's uh, life together where we used to love taking these tests and then we would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, you know, because it would be like, you know, what's your dream car? And I would get mine and it would be like a, a pink beetle or something like that. I'd be like, I would never drive that. So anyways, one of the tests, though, that I really wanted to know about myself uh, would be a test of where I fall on the extrovert and introvert scale. Now, most of you who know me or have, have sat under any of my preaching, you would believe he's an extrovert. Anyone? Yep. Pastor's an extrovert. He's the guy that gets really loud and he likes to run around the stage and he likes to clap his hands really loud. So actually, though I would fall uh, very highly on the extrovert scale, there are several in many days in my life, don't laugh, I heard you. There are many days of my life I feel very introverted. Days where I would like to just be shut up in a room with nobody around me, with my books and my Bible and just studying and just in peace and quiet. There are, there are several days that I would, days that I don't want to look at my, my family, and, and this is not anything against them, uh, because I love my family dearly, but there are just days that I feel that way. Anybody else resonate? Or am I the only person that ever? Okay, great, great. So there are days that I feel like this. Now, there was a specific time. Um, I was 18 years old. We were living in Florida, and I was having one of those days that I just, I didn't want to see my family. I didn't want to see my friends. Um, I didn't have to work that day, and I was forever grateful because I just wanted to sit quietly in my room and and just be, and it just so happens that it was my best friend's 18th birthday. And not just my best friend, but the girl that I had a crush on. My wife. She's my wife now, okay? I was allowed to have a crush. And so she had invited me to this birthday party, and I did not want to go. Not at all. There were going to be people there. there it was going to be loud. There was going to be music. It was just, there were people that we graduated with that I just did not feel like seeing, um, I, I got out of the school and I never wanted to look back at any of the people that I graduated with except for my wife and one other person. And so I knew they were both going to be there. Obviously, it was, it was, it was my best friend's birthday, so my, my wife now, uh, it was her birthday, and our, our best friend Renee was going to be there. And so they came to my house and essentially were like, you are coming with us to this party. And so we get to this party and I am instantly annoyed because there are people everywhere. And I'm not talking about like, there are just a few people. I'm talking like, we were in a room that was like half the size of this and there was like 60 people. 
And I was like, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I, I was being overwhelmed. And I'm like, this is, like my day is shot. It's ruined. I don't even want to be here right now. And then it gets worse. It gets worse because they have a karaoke machine set up. And people get up thinking they can sing. And it's awful. And there are people that are screeching into the microphone. And like my day is just becoming more and more ruined. And then it got worse than that because Bree was like, hey, you can sing. Why don't you come up here and sing with us? And they bring me up onto this little platform thing that they had made like a, a makeshift stage. And they bring me up there to sing in front of people, and I'm already annoyed. And then they pick the, the most annoying song to sing. And I'm not even going to tell you what it is, because I would never, ever sing it again. And it's not, it's not, it's not important. It's not important. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm being interrupted my day is being interrupted. My life is being interrupted. My introverted mind in this moment is being interrupted. But there was one interruption that occurred that I will never forget. One that stood out specifically to me. And it was this. It was my life was interrupted by the kindness and the friendship of two individuals. People who, one, is, is typically standing right next to me. One who's done life with me. One who has mothered my children. One who has walked through some of my darkest seasons. And I will never forget that, that she wanted to spend time with me. She wanted to be a good interruption. Now most of the time when we think of interruptions, we think of the mentality that I had. This is ruining my life. I'm angry. I don't want to do this. My quiet night that night was interrupted by loud music. It was interrupted by noisy people, and it was rough, but it was not all bad. And when we think about Easter Sunday, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that tells us that Easter interrupted multiple things still to this day. Easter was an interruption. Now, before you go and panic and be like, the pastor's talking bad about Easter, I will show you in Scripture why I came to this conclusion. And so if you have your Bibles, um, or if you have an electronic Bible, I would encourage you to get them out, to turn them on. Uh, we will be reading them from them. Um, and, and just a little um, side note here. Um, I would encourage you to bring a Bible, whether digital or physical, every Sunday. There is something about sitting in God's house and looking at God's word together that's special. And we should never, ever lose that. And so, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to begin reading in verse 57. And it says this, that when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. So these ladies are there. They're witnessing what Joseph is doing. And it says the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said in verse 65, he said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now chapter 28 starts off like this. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, both Marys now are going back to the tomb. And heaven, hold on. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse number three, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, Go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we are begging of you to do a work today. Enlighten our minds as we study out this passage of Scripture. Illuminate truth to us so that we can go away changed. So that we can go away knowing what the expectation of, of, of our lives should be. But God, help your truth to bring us to a place of remembering like we were on Friday and that we would go away from here in a constant state of knowing who we are, whose we belong to, and what we are to do. And I just ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about Easter being one of the biggest and best interruptions in history, and we see that here in the text. The first thing I want us to see is that Easter is grief interrupted by joy. Easter is grief interrupted by joy. The women are the last ones to leave. We see that in verse 61 of chapter 27. It says Mary, the Marys were there watching Joseph do this. They were the last ones to see Jesus be laid in the tomb. And then in, in chapter 28, they are the first people. It says towards the dawn of the first day of the week, they were going back to the tomb. The last ones to leave, first ones there. It's clear that they have something in mind when they're coming. 
They're coming to grieve the death of Jesus. We read in the Synoptic Gospels, the other accounts say that they brought spices, burial spices, with them to anoint Jesus' body to finish the burial process. And so they're coming. They're expecting his body to be there. They are ready to say their final goodbyes to the teacher that they have grown to love. They're probably prepared to have a good long cry, as do many when someone close to them dies. But that's not what happens. Their grief is interrupted. Their grief is interrupted. These ladies were not expecting what they came and saw. Talk about emotional adjustment. I'm coming to grieve, and the first thing the angel says to them is, do not be afraid. He's not here anymore. He's, he's gone. I know you came to cry, ladies, but you do not have to because Jesus is risen. There's been a serious change of plans. I'm sorry that we're going to interrupt your regularly scheduled funeral. But you do not have to cry. Don't grieve. Their grief was interrupted. Jesus is gone. But the angel doesn't stop there. I want you to see what he says to these ladies. So they, they get there. The angel is now speaking to them. And he tells them he's not here. But then look what he says in verse number 7. He says, go quickly and tell the disciples that he is, sorry, go back to verse number six first. It says, he is not here for he is risen. And he said, come and see the place where he lay. He's inviting them to go with their own eyes and look in the tomb to see that Jesus is gone. He knows they needed some time to process. And he's saying, he's like, go. Confirm it with your own eyes. Check every single corner of the tomb. His body is not there. His body is not there. Now I want you to jump with me to verse number 8. And it says, so they departed quickly. Don't forget that word, quickly. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Now, I think this right here is the best kind of joy. When he said fear, he's not talking about being terrified and happy or joyous at the same time. He's talking about being happy because this has happened. There's joy because Christ really did rise. And the fear is an awe that what he said came true. And they cannot believe it because he's gone. We've just watched the place where he was laid just a few short days prior and now we're back and his body is missing and we're being communicated to by an angel. There's awe here. These ladies probably thought to themselves, what did we just see? Was that an angel? Why are all the soldiers laying on the ground as if they are dead? Is Jesus really gone? They were ready to cry and grieve. But now they were giddy with excitement, with joy. It says that they quickly departed. Quickly. It was a glorious interruption on a glorious day. You know the sad reality for us, though, 
is that death brings grief like nothing else can. Would you guys agree with that? Death brings grief like nothing else can. A couple of years ago, um, so my, just kind of give you a little uh, history here. My wife and I are those people that we would prefer to go see a play put on by people than actually go to the movies. Um, I want to sit in a theater and look at all of the amazing paintings on the wall and the beautiful seats and have people come out all dressed up and I want to see them act out and, and perform their, their best for this play. And several, several years ago, my wife got me tickets, uh, got us tickets for, our, uh, for my birthday to go see a play called Our Town. Our Town. Now, in this play, it starts out and you're beginning to meet all of these people through the first two acts of the play. But then you get to the third act of the play, and all of the characters that you have met have seemingly passed on. They're dead. And you get to act number three, and you're introduced to a character who has just died while giving birth to her child. And she is walking in to greet the other the other dead people, and she has a conversation with her mother-in-law. And it goes something like this. I want to go back. I want to experience a day, just a single day, one more time. And her mother-in-law says that she's able to do this. And so the young lady is like, I'm going, I'm going to pick the best day that I can remember. And the mother-in-law stops her and says, pick any ordinary day, and it will be sufficient. And so she picks a day when she's 12 years old. And she goes back to that time, and quickly she realizes that nobody stops to greet one another. She's completely caught off guard that everyone is encapsulated by the mundane events of life. And she's saddened. She's grieved. And at the end of the day, she comes back. And she talks to her mother-in-law one last time. And she said, I wanted my mom and my dad to treasure my moments with me. I wanted them to slow down. And she somberly realized in that very moment of time that life was wasted and that there was really no going back. And as I watched this play, there were several moments where I was fighting back tears as I had the thought that death brings grief. We grieve as loved ones pass away forever. And it's hard. But these two women here, that grief was interrupted because Jesus was not there. He was gone. He was resurrected just like he promised on that morning. And because of that resurrection, we are told that there will be a new morning, a new day for us as believers. 
And so often we think about death and we think that's it. It's over. There's no going beyond that. For the life of a believer, that's not true. Death is temporary. Don't ever forget that. When we lose a loved one, we grieve. We miss them because they've passed on. But for believers, we don't grieve the same way that those grieve who have no hope. I'm going to say that again. As believers, we do not grieve the same way that those grieve who do not have hope. Meaning people who do not have Christ in their life. They grieve differently because there is no hope for them of eternal life. We, we grieve differently. So in that day, Easter, for them, their grief was interrupted by joy. Interrupted by joy. The second thing I want us to see here in this passage this morning is that Easter is death interrupted by resurrection life. Death interrupted by resurrection life. There is a new medical study that is out that was released about six months ago. Um, so for those of you who do not know, I wanted to be um, a doctor. Um, when I got out of school, I, I pursued uh, pre-med, and I spent several years uh, doing studies because I wanted to operate on children. That's what I, I wanted to be, a pediatric surgeon. And so I still follow medical journals because I am very much intrigued by science and how science and the Bible can coexist together. And one day I will talk to you about that very thought. And so I came across a, a study about six months ago uh, by a man named Sam Parnia. He's a cardiac uh, doctor and has spent several years uh, studying people at their death. And he continued to hear over and over and over and over again of people having consciousness after their heart stopped beating. Well, medical studies found out that the brain continues to process after the heart has stopped beating. People would be brought back to life and they would have recollections of things after they came off of the operating table of conversations that were had or of images of things that were going on in the operating room. And Sam Parnia was so intrigued by how could this be possible. And so he began to do studies. Study after study after study because he wanted to know how this could happen. He came to the conclusion that there are thousands of cases in the history of mankind that speak to the very thought of someone dying for moments, for minutes, and even an hour of time where they've come back, where God has allowed for them to come back because of, of medicine, because of healing, and they have had recollections of things in the time that they have died. There's even a movie out called Breakthrough about a young man who was under the ice for 15 minutes. And he died for an hour and he came back. Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus rose him. But something very interesting here. Lazarus died again. The young man in that movie Breakthrough will die. We, as humans, we will all die. 
But resurrection life is something completely different. Something completely different. Jesus interrupted death forever at his resurrection. Death forever. Death wanted to hold Jesus in the grave and it could not. Sin wanted to keep him in bondage longer than those three days. But the power of God in him rose him from the grave. Resurrection life. It's different. Jesus rose not only to never die again, but did you realize that his resurrection body had no death in it? His resurrection body had no death in it. Our bodies as humans die a little bit every single day. Do you know thousands of brain cells in the human body die every single day? And some of you did not even start out with that much. He knew what I was talking about. Not one single cell of Jesus' resurrection body ever dies. It's total. It's constant. It is perpetual life. Nothing can kill, injure, or hurt Jesus' resurrection or resurrected body. When Jesus rose from the dead, resurrection life interrupted his death and for those who would believe forever from that moment forward. Do you guys understand that? Like, you guys should get jazzed up for resurrection life. But here's the awesome part. Do you know that he did not resurrect for himself? He did not resurrect for himself. He resurrected for us, for sinners. For us. And he did it to share that resurrection life with us. I think one of my favorite, sorry, one of my favorite verses in, in John chapter 11 is this. It'll come to the screen for you. Jesus is speaking and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I want you to leave. Yeah, you can get excited. Yeah. I want you to leave that verse up there for me, though. Jesus did not say, I give resurrection and life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And for the person who has believed in Jesus Christ and has been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you have his resurrection life. He didn't give it to you as I'm giving life to you. It's because you have gone to him saying, I need you to save me. And because of that, we get his life. Excited people, come on. Jesus came to die so that we could have life, so that we could be saved. He made a way to say that death would not be final, that it could be interrupted for us. Because guess what? If you are not a believer, you are going to be cast in a place that is far worse than will ever occur here on this earth. And that's separation from God. And if you pray for salvation, I'm telling you, it will be the greatest decision of your life. And in that moment, death will be arrested for you.
just like we were singing. Death was arrested. I was at a funeral recently, and as I came upon, um, as I came upon the cemetery, um, there were many things that were running through my brain. I've lost some very close people, um, to me, people who have spoken truth, people who have walked alongside of me in ministry, people who I had the opportunity to sit with and pray with in moments later for them to meet the arms of Christ. But as I came to the cemetery, before I even entered, I, I wanted to stop to prepare my heart and my thoughts before I even walked in. And as I looked out at all of the grave sites, a couple of things occurred to me in that moment. That we in our human mind see death as very permanent. We place our loved ones and our friends into caskets that do not have latches on the inside to let themselves out. We place them under six feet of ground. And then we etch their name and their birthday and death date, and they place that right over top of the person. And it's permanent. And as I looked out, As I looked out on these gravesites, I thought to myself, how many families stood here knowing this was permanent for their family? How many people stood in, in those places and thought nothing here is going to change their status in human life? Nothing. When, when one person dies and they're placed in the grave, they, they stay dead. But then I began to think about the passage of Scripture that I was going to be speaking on that day. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. And then you get to the, the point where it says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because it's God's rod and staff that comfort me. It says that he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. But my favorite part that David says is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus came to allow for us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so though death may be permanent here for us in this state, our resurrected bodies get to live for eternity for those who believe. Those who believe. So Easter is death interrupted by resurrection life. But there is one more thing here. Easter is the weakness of the flesh interrupted by the power of the resurrection. It's the weakness of the flesh. It's being interrupted by the power of the resurrection. I was studying in Romans the other day, and I came across this verse that 
I thought speak, spoke perfectly to what we have talked about Friday, what we talked about last Sunday. And it says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. Do you know that without Christ we are powerless to fight sin? Do you know that without Christ we are powerless to fight death? We are helpless. We cannot fight the powers of of dark and, and evil apart from God. We are weak to the point of helplessness. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And that is why Jesus came. That's why he came. And he went to the cross to die for the payment of our sins for us so that he could satisfy God's justice. And following Christ means that we get to live with freedom over our old self. Freedom over our old self. We are given the power to follow him through resurrection life. Do you guys understand that? Christ gives you the power to live for him. Peter talks about that. He says that God gives us everything that we need for life and righteousness. And yet we choose not to to take it. We choose not to walk in it. And yet it was was given freely. He was beaten for you. A crown of thorns was placed on his head for you. Paul, one of the greatest theologians of of the Bible, said to the church at Philippi, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know. And Paul is not just talking about something that we experience after death. He's talking about living right now, right now in the power of the resurrection. Living victoriously over our sin. That's what Paul is talking about. Walking rightly. Seeing the power of God in our lives. Seeing the power of God work in the lives of other people. Seeing people get healed. Seeing people coming to know Christ. That's what Paul was talking about. And we can experience that today. Why? Because God did not change from 2,000 years ago until 2021. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And Paul is saying we are allowed to see these things through the power of the resurrection. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe that God is still at work? Paul also said to that same church that he wants to see God's power more and more. He wants to see an abundance of God's power. It wasn't, Paul Paul was not talking when he said, I'm not where I want to be and I want to see his power more work through me. He was not talking about this very thought and I don't have time to to dive too deeply into this, but I need you guys to hear something. 
okay? Paul was not talking about the prosperity gospel that is preached in this country. He was not saying that anything that we name and claim that it's going to happen. That is not what Paul said here. Not at all. Paul said to live with resurrection life is to see the power of God at work in you and others according to his word. Not according to some preacher who makes millions of dollars, but according to his word. We can see the resurrection life in and through people if we allow God to use us. And if you struggle in this room having faith to see God work through people, join the crowd. We have jackets. People struggle and that's okay. But we don't stop there. We don't stop in not having enough faith. What do we do? We should run back to the very word of God and know more about who God is and know more of his character so that we have the remembrance in our brains to think back, to say, I can walk in resurrection life. I can allow God to use me even though I'm a sinner. I can see things come to fruition because God still works. God still moves. God still heals people. God still blesses. Because God is a good God. So if you belong to Christ this morning, his power belongs to you. Well, that's great, Pastor. So what do we do now? Where do we go from here? What happens? I'm going to show you. Let's go back to the passage of Scripture that we read. Go to chapter 28, verse number 6. There are three actions here that we will see. It says... In verse number 6, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come to see the place where they lay. Now, you ready? I said to remember that word quickly. But what does it say? It says, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And what did verse number 8 say? It says, they departed quickly. There was a response to what was told of them. There was a response. We talked about that on Friday. The responses to the cross, to the crucifixion, to Jesus. And so this morning, here we are on Resurrection Sunday, and there's another response. Another response. And so what is it? What is the response here? Well, for those of you who are in this room who are not believers, those who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, your response is to believe in resurrection life. We talked about that Friday. We talked last Sunday about how you do that according to God's word. It's believing that Jesus came to live a sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and three days later by the power of God he rose. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, I said this on Friday, right? It says we shall be saved. We looked at that, that criminal that called out and cried out for salvation. 
So for you, as a non-believer, that's, that's yours. That's your step. Well, what about me, pastor? I'm a believer. Well, let's go back to what it said in verse number 8. So they departed quickly. So believer in this room, I need every believer to look at me for a moment. Look right, I'll take my glasses off so I can't even see you that well. But I want you to look me in the eyes. If you are a believer in this room, you need to respond to truth just as much as the non-believer. Okay? Respond to truth just as much as the non-believer. Okay? Because we need the gospel just as much as the one who's going to hell right now. And so for you, these ladies, they saw and they experienced the truth here. The angels like, go and see, Jesus is gone. And what did they do? They departed quickly to go and tell. And so as a believer in this room, guess what? You should be talking about Jesus everywhere you go. Do you guys know that we have that verse right there on the back of this room? Go and make disciples. The Great Commission was given for all believers to continue the work. To tell people about Jesus. To make disciples. It says teaching them. Teaching them. So listen, if you are a believer in this room, you better walk out of this building and you better go. And we're going to be talking about that in our next series that kicks off next week about our vision and mission here for the well called rerouting. We're going to talk about what we do with God's word and what we're commanded to do. That's why the the sign on the outside doors there as you're leaving talks about entering your mission field. And a little side note here, commercial break. Inviting someone to church is not evangelization. That is not evangelization at all. That is the farthest thing from it. And I'll speak to that later. So come back in a couple weeks. I mean, come back next week, but. (laughs) Now I want you to see the third response here. I want you to see the third response. It says in verse number nine, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And what did they do to him? I'm sorry? They worshiped him. When we enter into this building on Sundays, we are here to worship God. And I'm not going to point any names, but we do that a lot of times through song, right? The band was up here, and we were worshiping God. And so the hard thing about being the pastor and being up front is I get to see everything that everybody does. So those of you who have been on Facebook, I already saw it, right? But this is the sad reality of many churches today. We walk into this building, and because we have not worshipped God Monday through Saturday, we are not coming here prepared to worship God. And so music starts being played, and we're talking about running out of the grave because of salvation, and there are people that are like, Oh, glorious day. And I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you. What I'm trying to get you to see is God's word commands us to worship Jesus. 
And when we are here in this building, we should be worshiping Jesus. But guess what? The moment that you come here and worship God is the moment that you've already been worshiping Monday through Saturday. Jesus cannot be just a Sunday Jesus for us as believers. Jesus should be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday Jesus. And if he's not going to be that for you, you will never worship him here. You will never give to him monetarily. You will never give of your time and serve here if Jesus is not a Sunday through Saturday Jesus for you. So what needs to change They responded to truth, people. They responded to the very words of truth. So it doesn't matter if you're a non-believer or if you're a believer. The call this morning is to respond to truth. Respond to truth. So my question in, in closing is this. How are you going to respond? to truth for you personally not your spouse not your kid not your neighbor not your friend but you how are you going to respond to truth you online you in the balcony how are you going to respond let's pray God we come to you today and we thank you we thank you for your word we thank you for the truths that we see we thank you for the resurrection life that comes because of your son God we ask now as we about are about ready to depart from here Lord that we would take what we have learned that we will apply it, that we will respond to truth. If there are non-believers in here, Lord, that need to know who you are, give them the courage to come forward to speak to me or, or one of the other leaders here at the church. And as a, as a believer in this place, Lord, I pray that we would go away from here knowing that we are called also to respond to your word. Help us, Lord, to see your truth, obey your truth, follow it, and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.